Well, good morning, beloved church. You guys are far more responsive. The air conditioner is working this week. It's going to be a good day. Uh, no laughter. Maybe not. I don't know. Anyway, I know what's got you. Your mouth is salivating because you saw this, right? Uh, this is a gigantic donut with a whole lot of sugar sprinkles on top. Um, but here's the thing. A few years ago when my children were... Um, very young toddlers, and they were not yet in school. Um, Fridays, my wife would be working, and my weekend is Friday, Saturday, and so Fridays were daddy days. And so um, my kids, again, both really, really small. Um, Elena, my daughter, was just barely walking at that point, and my son, he's toddler, running, he's into everything. And so kind of our routine was Friday morning, mommy would go to work, and for daddy day, we would go to a donut shop, and we would get these donuts, um, which is ridiculous, um, just not a good way to start the day for Daddy Day, but they loved it. Um, we get these donuts, and then we go to a park, and we play at the playground and all this stuff and just have a great time. But one day, we get our donuts, and my daughter loved these donuts. And this was the one that she always wanted. Um, so she would get her sprinkles do- donut, and we'd go to the park, and we're sitting down on this picnic bench. And as I'm sitting there, like I get my son Leland situated, I get her situated, they get their donuts, and I decide I'm going to sit on the opposite side from my daughter, and I don't know, maybe I'm a terrible parent, but you know, she can barely walk at this point, but we're in grass, like it's a soft ground, you know where this is going. I look up at one point, and she's just slow motion, teeter-totter, bam, she's off the picnic table, um, and she's on the ground, and so, oh no, like I run around to the other side, and I kid you not, she is on the ground, she's covered in leaves and everything kind of rolling around trying to get up and everything, but clutched tightly in a death grip is that donut. She is not letting go of that donut. Um, And that's kind of our condition, right? We hold on tight to what we value. We hold on to what we treasure most. Like tight fists. We keep a tight grip on what we treasure most. We don't want to let go of that. And so I want to ask you, what are you holding on to? Like maybe in this moment, You feel like you're holding on to something or you're going to lose it. Or maybe it's someone or something that you just know, like, if I didn't have him, her, that, then who would I be? Like, what is it that you're holding on to? Or maybe in another question form, um, if I were to take or God were to take something out of your life that would just immediately create anxiety for you, what would that thing be? That you just don't know how you could cope without this. Like, if this was taken from you, oh, what would life be? As we need to take that idea into today's text, as we continue this series, we have just a couple weeks left, um, kind of focusing in. It's a bit unusual for us to do this, but um, we're, we're in a season where I thought it would be good for us to look at what should we be devoted to as a church. And we're looking at the early church and what the early church, with the apostles' leadership, devoted themselves to. So turn with me in your copy of Scripture to Acts chapter 2. We've been unpacking just a few verses here for the last few weeks, and we have two weeks to go. But um, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, again asking the question, what should we be devoted to as a church? Looking at what the early church devoted themselves to as followers of Jesus, covenanting together to say, we are about the mission of God. We're going to live for his glory. What do we devote ourselves to? So chapter 2, verse 42 starts and says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. 
Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So this week, I would like for us to focus in on verse 44 and 45. What should we devote ourselves to? What did they devote themselves to? Look at 44. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Ha. Huh. And now, this can create some tension for us, especially here in America. <laughs> I, I love democracy. I think it is a beautiful gift from God. Um, this can create some tension. Like, is that communism? Like, shared possessions, all this stuff. I say, no, this is not about a political ideology. This is not about that. This is just open-handed living. So open-handed living means we're being generous. We're sharing everything so that all needs are met. That in the community of God, in the church, everyone would care that much about each other that we'd say, everything I have, I hold with an open hand because I care about you more than I care about this thing that I once held so tightly. You know what that's all about? Sharing and needs, loving each other in that way? That's fellowship. It's being together. Holding things in common, it's fellowship. But the reality is, it's costly. Fellowship is costly. Generosity is costly. Following Jesus is costly. Um, he describes it like taking up your cross and following him, dying to yourself daily to live for him. It's worth it, though. And so today, um, if you're new here or you're just not really sure about Beloved Church, like, congratulations, you chose the generosity day. Like, we're going to talk about money. Um, and and it's, it's funny for me to say that because it creates such a tension for us. And so I want to acknowledge that up front, that for many of us, it makes us uncomfortable to talk about money. One, because we might struggle with it or be embarrassed about the way that we use it or don't use it. Or, or two, we know that there's a really, really long standing tradition or history that is tragic in religious spheres, that people are oppressed financially by clergy or religious leaders. Um, there are people who will try to just take your money in ways that do not honor God and things. And so um, we need to be okay with talking about money. Um, Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven or hell. Do you know that? Like, it would be really negligent of me to not talk about money as one of your pastors when Jesus talks about it so much, um, we need to talk about this. And the reason is that we're going to talk about financial things, is that finances or money, um, what we use today's vernacular, it's currency, right? And we, we've talked about this before, but when you think of currency, think and hear that root word current. That when we look at currency or money, think current. And what does a current do? A current is moving. Think of air or water currents. They're in motion. They're not stagnant. They're in motion. And so in the same way, we can look at money in our lives and see that the directional flow of that is actually telling us something. It's flowing largely from our heart. That when you look at the flow of wealth in your life, it is revealing something about what you're holding on to, about what you treasure most. And this matters. It matters to God. It matters to us as a church family because our hearts matter to God the God who sees beyond the masks and all the shreds that we play and sees our hearts. And so he cares about this. And we too care about this. 
So today, we're talking about generosity. We're focusing primarily on monetary generosity, but let's also acknowledge that generosity is not just money. It's also time, but to be in fellowship like this, like it's described in the early church, is to be together. And again, I've said this a few weeks ago, but I think the greatest obstacle that I have seen in planting a church and just being the church of the United States of America in this day and age is time. Like our schedules are so busy. It will cost you if you want to be an active part of a genuine community of Christ followers. We have to be willing to sacrifice time to just simply be together. It's in the, in the, the three kind of cliche, but really true things. Like it's time, talent, and treasure. Time, but then talent. That it's going to take work. You're going to have to use your strengths on behalf of others' weaknesses. It's also treasure, and that's what we'll focus on today, the idea of treasure or our wealth. And so when you hear of money, uh, perhaps one of the first things that comes to your mind is an oft-quoted verse. Um, this is in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Um, Paul writes this, and he says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. What a true statement. But I want to make sure that we hear this clearly. King James Version actually left out a word that I think is pretty critical to understanding what this means um, to make sure it's not taken out of context. It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not money is evil. It's the love of money. And so money is not inherently or intrinsically evil. Wealth, having money, having finances is not a bad thing. Um, We look at the scriptures and we see Job, who was very, very, very wealthy, and yet God said he is righteous. And then God takes basically everything from him, allows Satan to do awful things to him, and then God repays him. He, He brings about sevenfold what he had. So wealth is not inherently evil. It is not wrong for you to have money. The love of money can lead to all kinds of evil, though. Wealth does not always equal evil. But there are real warnings because there are real dangers. The thing about wealth is it often brings with it the temptation of pride. It's it's the idea that I'm a self-made man, that by my own effort, my own ability, I'm okay. Because with money often comes comfort, often comes power, prestige, it's identity. It's It's all these things that we create as idols and look to those things to satisfy us instead of God. And so money is a dangerous thing but it is not an evil thing. So we need to be okay with talking about this. Jesus knew the danger of money. I want you to think about this, okay? Jesus calls his disciples together. He puts together this kind of team, these early disciples, and um, you know, one of them is evil. One of them, Judas, is going to betray Jesus. And yet, scriptures foretold this. Um, Jesus knew it was coming. He made it clear that he knew before it happened that Judas was going to do something evil. Jesus, being the divine son of God and fully man, he knew this. He knew what was in the heart of Judas. Judas, we're told, was the treasurer of the group. Judas held the money. Judas would steal from the money. Judas was awful about finances. He's greedy and all these things. Think about what that means. That Jesus, knowing this about Judas, said, let's let him be the money holder. Why? Because money did not have that great of a grip on Jesus. And that's what we need to know, that it is not a call to be unwise. Like if if you're on our finance team and we find out that you have a habit of dipping into the church finances or anything like that, one, we're a 501c3 and we want to keep that. So things are transparent. That will be discovered. 
you would be removed. We would not invite someone to be on our finance team that has a track record of stealing and like kleptomaniacs. I'm sorry, like there's grace and forgiveness and we'll work with you, but you're just not welcome on the finance team. And yet Jesus says, that guy, give him the money. What? So this is not a call for us to be unwise with our wealth, but it's a call for us to not be so personally attached to it. Open-handed. We have to open our hand. And Jesus has this interaction with a rich young ruler who comes to him and is like, hey, good teacher, like, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus quotes some of the Ten Commandments and he's like, got it, I'm killing it. And Jesus is like, well, there's one more thing. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the guy rejects Jesus and walks away from salvation. He's sorrowful, he's mourning because he had so much and Jesus is heartbroken by this too. And he turns to his disciples and he famously says, truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Because the danger of money is that it can give us this delusion that we have comfort and we have security. We have power. Well, we have none of that really. That moth and rust will destroy and steal. The thief comes in and takes it. Like, there's nothing that we have that we're going to take out of this world. And so we hold it with an open hand. So what is key when it comes to money and wealth? If if there's, there's this thing called money, and it's not evil, but it is dangerous, and we want to follow in the way of Jesus, what is key to use or possession of money? What must we know? And I think it's two things. It's stewardship and generosity. Stewardship and generosity. Stewardship is defined as the job of supervising or taking care of something such as an organization or property. You're taking care of it. And so wealth, money, is something that you need to steward well. We should steward the wealth that we have well. And this comes down to the fact that you decide where your money goes or someone else will. You know that to be true? Have any of you visited a third world country? You get there, and in a primitive economy, you have all these people who are highly aggressive, trying to sell you something or trade with you for something. I remember the first time that I went to a third world country and just being so overwhelmed, and I actually gave up some money that I should not have because the guy, like, I'm an introvert, I'm I'm not about that life, (laughs) but this guy is just so just in my face, like, you need this, and I'm like, this is for her, and he's talking about this girl I'm with as my queen. I'm just like, what's going on? Like, all this is wild. And next thing you know, I'm giving him money for something that I did not want. He's telling me, I need this and all this stuff. And I'm just so overwhelmed. And we think like, yeah, that's crazy. I learned my lesson. I don't do that. Now I can smile, look them in the eye and walk away. Like, I've learned to stand my ground. And yet, it's easy for me to forget that the same thing happens every day here in the United States. It's just so much more subtle and efficient. It's in marketing. How many things do all of us own that we're like, why? (laughs) Why do I have that? But I was fully convinced that I needed that. You decide where your money goes or someone else will. Steward it well. Be mindful of that. Steward the wealth that you have been given well. Stewardship is a matter of deciding if your wealth is going to serve your agenda, the world's agenda, or God's agenda. Class, Can we say which agenda we should be serving? God's agenda. But we have to be mindful of that. We will not serve God's agenda with our wealth unless we are mindful of where our wealth is going. So we need to see and be honest about where our wealth is going. Are we stewarding it well? 
And then the next one is generosity. So when we talk about generosity, we define that as the quality of being kind and generous. Like, that's not helpful. Come on, dictionary definition. You're not supposed to use the word in the definition. So what is generous? Generous means showing a readiness to give more of something, time, money, than is strictly necessary or expected. And so the way of Jesus is to steward our finances, but then be generous with our finances. It's to open our hands. It's to give more than is expected or required. That's what generous is, to be generous. And so uh, consider this hypothetical. Um, any of you that know me know that this is absolutely hypothetical, but let's go with it, okay? I walk in here with fat stacks of cash. Like, I have $10 million in this wheelbarrow here. Guess what? It's for you. I just love you. And I'm just so generous. I have $10 million here that I'm giving to you. You have done nothing to deserve this. I'm not, I'm not like employing you. Like I'd love to have $10 million to employ some people for the church, but that's not happening. But it's just, here's $10 million. I'm giving you $10 million, but here's the thing. Take care of yourself, okay? You need to eat. You need clothes. You have needs. Pay for your home. Like Take care of yourself. Take care of your family. And you know what? Enjoy this. Enjoy this money. Go on some vacations. Feast when it's appropriate. Enjoy some nice things in life. But use it all wisely, okay? And, and one last thing. Just 10% of it, can you give it to this particular mission that I'm passionate about? $10 million. I've got the wheelbarrow here. And I'm giving it to you and saying, take care of yourself, enjoy it, use it wisely, but 10% of it, could you give it to this particular mission that I'm passionate about? Would you be like, absolutely not. No, like $9 million? Yeah, yeah. I'll give a million dollars of it to whatever mission you want, Kevin. What about $100? If I came to you and said, hey, I got an extra $100 this month. I just want to give it to you. You, know what? Like, you have needs? Take care of those needs. Enjoy it. Like, maybe take your wife out on a date. Use it wisely, okay? And hey, I, I really care about this mission. Could you give $10 of it to this mission? Again, you did nothing to earn it or deserve it. It was given to you. I owned it, and I gave it to you. Still, would you balk at that request to give 10% of it away? No, you're like, no, that just makes sense. Like, okay, I can steward that. I can be generous with that. And here's the thing. I mean, you've, you've already connected the dots. If God owns it all and gives to us what is his, with a similar request, is it absurd to obey? To be generous with some of what God has given to us? Absolutely not. And so how generous we are, how well we steward things is entirely dependent on our view of ownership and stewardship. If you want to be a generous person, it all comes down to how do you view the things that you have? Is it with a tight fist? No, it's mine. Or is it with an open hand to say, I've been given this from a very generous, a very gracious God. And he's told me to use it wisely. And now, with an open hand, I can say, yeah, I can use some of it for me. And there's nothing wrong with that. But then I can use some of it for you. To care about others. To be generous like God is generous. It comes down to how do we view ownership and stewardship. So, do we really believe that God owns it all? Do we really believe that God actually cares about us? Like, I hear you, Jesus, saying, look at the flowers of the field. Don't be anxious. 
they're not even arrayed like the most wealthy, wisest man that lived on this earth. God provides for them. See these birds dancing around, singing, flying around, playing? They're not freaking out. Don't you know that God loves you more than them? He knows what you need. Do we believe that? Do we actually believe that? Do we believe that God will provide for us as we obey and become people with open hands, people of generosity? Do we believe that? And it's not about prosperity theology. Because again, let's acknowledge that there are people who will mislead you and take great advantage of you. And by great, I mean big, large, bad advantage of you. This, this is not this idea of like, if you give so many dollars, then God will give you X dollars. No, we don't have that promise in scripture. But what we do have is the promise of God that, hey, you should be generous because I've got you. I'll take care of you. It may not look like you think it looks like, but it looks like this. This is according to the Apostle Paul. He said, the point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. That's the assurance we have. Banked on the grace of God. And where do we see the grace of God? In the gospel. and the good news that God loves us in this way, that he sent his only son to die for us so that we could have everlasting life with him so that the immeasurable riches of heaven are ours in Christ. And so we can look like the early church. You know, there are historical records that date back to close to the time of what this is describing, where the Christians would hear about other Christians in their congregation, in their church, who could not eat because they were so poor and destitute. And sometimes they would not have the money to give them so that they could eat. And they would say, you know what? I'm going to stop eating. I'll start fasting so that I can save that money so that I can give you money so that you can eat. And they did it joyfully. They were marked by joy. Now, could you imagine any of us getting to the point where we hear about someone else in the church that can't eat tonight, and you're like, I have no money to give them. I need to eat. Wait a second. I don't need to eat. I'll just skip dinner and give them my dinner. What a wonderful thing. What a beautiful thing. What a witness to the world. And my hope is not in these things, so I hold them with an open hand. I just get to use them for the glory of God and the good of his people. That is amazing. That is beautiful. And this is the way that Chris Willard and Jim Shepard, uh, who wrote a book on generosity, they said this. They said, generosity is at its core a lifestyle, a lifestyle in which we share all that we have, are, and ever will become as a demonstration of God's love and as a response to God's grace. That we are generous in response to God, who is the most generous. Now, this is the gospel, that we deserve death and condemnation. We deserve hell. We have rebelled against the holy God and the God of all who created us. Us who rebelled against him became like his own creation, lived a sinless life, died the death that you and I deserve on a cross, showing grace, undeserved favor, saying, I love you. He took our place. He paid the debt that we could never repay. He rose again victorious over sin and death. So you're free So believe, turn from your sin, follow him, trusting that Jesus is Lord, confessing Jesus is Lord. And if he's Lord, that means he is truly Lord. He died and he rose again so that we could be with him forever. 
the greatest gift that God could ever give us. There's nothing greater than God himself, and that's what he gave us. He gave us himself to be with eternal life forever, to be with God, a God who loves us despite us. Oh, what a God. There's nothing more valuable. There's nothing that we could want to hold on to tight more than this. Like if there's anything for you to cling to, cling to the gospel, the good news that God loves you like that, that he is that generous. And now our generosity is a response to that. And so it changes the way that we view everything. Um, Jesus put it in the words of a parable when he said, the, the, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field. And a man found, and he reburied it. And he went and sold all of his possessions so that he could acquire that field and thereby acquire that treasure. When you see the worth of Jesus, there's nothing worth more. And so you gladly go sell everything so that you can just have him. Let's be a church devoted to generosity because Jesus is the superior treasure. As to lose it all is to gain everything in him. So we have to be people of open hands. So our devotion to generosity is quite telling because um, remember, it's, it's linked to our hearts. So there's a balance that we have to hold to in this. Um, when, when living as generous people, there's a balance. And so you, you've probably heard of Jesus and his Sermon on the Mount. Famous sermon Jesus gives. It's so wonderful. Um, but this is what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, so whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. We don't, we don't become generous people to elevate ourselves because um, if you watch social media reels and things like that, it's very popular right now for these people with a lot of money to go around just giving away things. And it's exciting to think like, oh, what an amazing person. That guy's so generous or whatever. No, you don't do that. You do it in secret. Like, put the phone away. Don't film this. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing because your reward is in heaven. You don't want the reward of the praise of man. You want the praise of God. And so we live with that. And yet at the same time, in the same sermon that Jesus said that, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, he also said this. He said, you are light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all those who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Our acts of generosity can absolutely be these good works that we should let others see. Um, in, this, in this same book, the book of Acts, we hear of this guy Barnabas who sells a plot of land and gives it to the church and they're able to do a lot of ministry because of it. We have that recorded for us and his name actually became Barnabas because it means son of encouragement. Because it was so encouraging to the church to see the way that he was generous with his life. It was good for them to know that. And so in the same way, we have to carry this balance that yes, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The meaning of that is not to say, keep this all total tight-lipped secret. The meaning of that is to say, don't live for the praise of man, live for the praise of God. And at the same time, it would be really encouraging for many of us to hear stories of generosity. It's, it's a great encouragement for us to see an example set for us of what generosity looks like. Last year, we were... Um, 
praying as elders about hiring Jessica, who you know works full-time for the church. And we were praying about this and just thinking like, okay, like the finances, there's going to be a shortfall. It would be really bad to hire her. And then like eight months from now, say like, I'm so sorry. It's been great, but we can no longer pay you. We don't want to do that. And so we're praying about it and felt like God was saying, yes, this, this is what you should do. You know, that very same week, like literally within 24 hours of us meeting together to pray about that, someone in the church gave a gift to the church that was the exact amount that we needed to cover her salary. We shared that with you. It was such a beautiful encouragement to us. And we wanted the church to be encouraged by that. There are times when it is absolutely right and appropriate. And you know that individual does not want you to know who gave that money? Because don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And so there's a balance we can walk in this of not receiving the praise of man, but living for the praise of God. Your father who sees in secret will reward you in secret. He will reward you. Your reward is coming. And so we want to be people who can talk about these things but again, with that balance, this is the way that A.B. Bruce is a Scottish theologian. He said, he said, this is kind of the paradigm. Show when tempted to hide, hide when tempted to show. Show when tempted to hide and hide when tempted to show. To be open-handed. And so I want to take a moment to just thank you because um, I know, just personal, I know how hard it is to be a generous person the fear of what happens when I open my hand. And we watch as we're supposed to be keeping up with everybody else and like, oh, they acquired this and they acquired that. Oh, like, we're falling behind. We go. But to live with an open hand is difficult. And yet when we do it, it's so rewarding. And I want to thank you as one of your pastors say, this is a beautifully encouraging and generous church. There has never been a week where I have had to come up and awkwardly say, we need you to give more. We're in trouble. Thank you. Like, sincerely thank you for your generosity. Um, as a full-time paid pastor, it's how my family eats. And I'm thankful for that. <laughs> like, really, thank you. But it's so much more than just meeting these tangible needs. It's actually evident of your heart. I've, I've learned a lot, and I've actually changed the way that I approach pastoral care when it comes to finances in the last few years that the way that you steward your finances is such an indicator of where your heart is, where you are in your journey following Jesus. And so we need to be willing to talk about these things. We need to have open hands, but have open conversations about it. Celebrate generosity. Um, I, I repeat this story constantly to people, but one of my favorite things about this church was during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, Pastor Alex is super techie. As it started, we're hearing all these terrible things are happening, like the world is shutting down, like people are losing jobs and all stuff, and like people are going to have great needs in the church. How do we do this? And so he spent a ton of time, thank you, Alex, putting together this form on the website that was really sleek and everything, like you could request help and it would get to us, let a team of us know so that we could get groceries to you or help with medicine, whatever it was that was needed in a way that was going to be safe and all that stuff. And can I tell you that through the entire pandemic, all the work he did was for naught. Every single time that a need was made known to me, before we could respond corporately as a church, the church had taken care of it. Every single time. And it happened a lot. I was so encouraged by that. That we didn't need this formal system of the corporate church coming together. And it's great, there's a time and a place for that. But the church just loving each other 
And here, oh, they need this. And before we could take care of it corporately, it's already done. I love that. Let's continue to be a church that loves each other in that way. A church known for its love for each other. And so I want to kind of wrap this up, giving you some actionable goals. Um, Here's some things to actually do this week. If you want to take note of this, I really would encourage you to do that. Um, Actually do these things this week. Here's the first one. Stewardship is about deciding where your wealth goes. If you don't do it, someone else will. And so take the time this week to map out your spending. Map out your spending. Where does it go? And then what movements of your heart are evident in that flow? Print out, or maybe you're okay with digital stuff. I like the tactile. But look at your statements. All your credit cards, your debit cards, all all of your statements, pull them together and actually categorize things. How much was spent on eating out? How much was spent on mortgage? How much was spent on insurance? How much was spent on groceries? All these things. Find out where is my money actually going? And it will either be really encouraging. They're like, hey, I'm good with that. I'm glad that my money is going where I think it's going. I feel like I've, I've got a good grip on that, but open hand. Or it may be very revealing. They're like, I did not realize I was spending that much on this. That's silly. I'm not okay with that. And so now you can correct that and change the flow because you want it to align with your heart. And so spend time mapping out your spending this week. And next, this will be very easy coming off of that activity. Create a budget and a plan for getting out of debt. Create a budget, a plan for getting out of debt, and then how will you live for God's agenda above your own? Make it a plan. Write it down. Know where your money is going, and now decide where it's going to go. And I'll give you some simple guiding principles for this. Um, Spend less than you earn. It sounds really simplistic. It is crazy. And this is, this is not arrogance. This is not self-righteousness. I hope and humility to share this with me. I have no debt in my life. I have a small house that we bought in a recession and I had to do a lot of work on it, but I would be happy for the president of the United States to walk in and feel no shame. But I have no debt. We own our vehicles. We own our home. No debt at all. Do you know how we got there? It's really simple. Spend less than I earn. Find where your money is going and decide when you make your budget, I'm going to spend less than I earn. Make cuts where you need to make cuts and it may hurt. But I guarantee you from personal experience, it will feel so much better when you're out of debt. The freedom of not being in debt to say, oh, car broke down again? Well, actually, we can afford to fix it. (laughs) That's good. Because I'm not drowning in a lot of other payments. I can fix that. Find the freedom there. This is, I, I could take you to so many passages and I would love for you to do that. Um, but that leads me to the next one. Reach out for help. If you want to have a biblically informed view of how to manage your finances, reach out for help. We have multiple pastors who are really good at managing wealth. We have multiple people in the church. We have one who's actually certified with an institution. Um, I would love to connect you with him. And there would be no shame. We all do it joyfully. Let's help each other. Help each other. So in all seriousness, maybe you need to write it down right now. Reach out this week and get help. Let it be a conversation. There's no shame in that. Let's talk about it. All right, next actionable goal. Everyone give something. I'm not even saying just give to the church. 
Just open your hand and give something. If you're not in the habit of giving anything, open your hand and give something. If you're not giving anything right now, start with 1% of your income. I'm telling you, giving you permission, start with just 1% of your income. And then each month, try to bring it up a percent. But for the month of June, give 1%. And then for the month of July, give 2%. And keep creeping it up so that it doesn't feel like a sudden just stabbing and cutting away of so many things, but slowly build it up to where you're at a point where you say, I'm happy with that. I'm glad to be able to be that generous. But start with something. Everyone give something. I love the story of Jesus um, sitting in the temple. This is how Mark records it. As a sitting across from the temple treasury, he watched. And so I need you to understand, they, they basically built trumpets out of the giving boxes. So big metallic box, it's gonna make noise when that coin falls in there, falls on other coins. They didn't have paper dollars, it's coins. And so on the top of that giving box, small slot, because you don't wanna be able to reach in there and take what you want. There's a small slot, but there's a trumpet coming off of that. The idea is that the sound, when that coin goes in, would then be amplified coming out. So you get the satisfaction of like, oh yeah, da 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 And so people would sit around and be like, oh, <laughs> that was a big donation. Look at those guys. And then you'd hear other people like, oh, not much going on there. And Jesus is sitting there. He watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. Very impressive. It's loud. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. He's so brutally honest about it, isn't he? (laughs) Two tiny coins, tiny, worth very little. Summoning his disciples, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. For they gave out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Do you know that Jesus gets excited by our generosity and even more so when it hurts us because it shows something about your heart from that current and he cares about your heart. So we must be people living with an open hand. And so lastly, if you are giving 10% regularly or whatever you have established as your ongoing generosity, um, I'll call that your downstream current flow. They're like, it's easy to go downstream then I want to invite you to step into something going upstream. Step into giving something sacrificially on occasion to where it costs you again. Um, my family, we give 10% to the church and it comes out regularly. Like it's, it's, I have to, we, we have these moments in the gathering where we say, if you give on a reoccurring basis, give that amount in mind right now and offer that to the Lord because I need that as much as any of you need that, that give regularly. That it's easy, just like, okay, well, 10% is just gone. Like, it's just, it's just not there. You can almost forget about that and operate like you'd never had that. But we want to be mindful of that. But beyond that, being mindful of that, we also want to step beyond that and swim against the current sometimes to say, this is going to hurt, but we're going to give to this ministry. Or we're going to help this family that we heard about. Or whatever it is, step into that. And I'm, again, I'm not saying that we have this figured out, but Courtney and I have a, a dedicated amount every month that we both know, hey, without question, we're going to give away this month this amount of money beyond our normal giving. And so then we get to enjoy, because Jesus said it is better to give than to receive. We get to enjoy giving away something more and be postured and ready to help someone who's in need. Find an amount like that 
If you have made it to the point where you're already practicing the downstream activities, swim upstream and see that it's still just as exciting. You get to give away more, to live more and more with an open hand. Step into generosity. The tithe is not actually mandated for the Christian. I know that's a big debate. Like, well, the tithe was Old Testament, Old Covenant. Like, we don't have to give 10% now. But here's the thing. It gives us a very practical benchmark, something to aim for. And what we're called to do in response to the gospel is be generous. If I'm supposed to hear the gospel, the good news, that the God of all the cosmos stepped into creation to save creation, he loves me like that, so much so that he died for me, and I'm supposed to give in light of that, I'm supposed to be generous because he is generous, it's hard for me to imagine giving less than 10%. But I am constantly challenged by the fact that Jesus said to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And if I think in very simple mathematical terms, what does that mean? It's 50-50. And don't don't hear any of this and feel like a guilt-laden thing that, oh, pastor's saying I need to give more. No, I want you to experience the joy of generosity. Step into generous living. Experience, test Jesus on it. Is he really correct in saying it's better to give than to receive? He is. So taste and see that the Lord is good. Very practically. Census data says that the the median household income for Claremont, Florida is $69,930. That means every month, the median household income for this community is $5,827 a month. If we are a church of roughly 60 giving units, that's about where we are. So giving unit means it could be a family or an individual, but about 60 people who give on a somewhat regular basis. 1% of the median household income in this community of 60 people giving 1% would be $3,496.20 a month. That would hurt, just being honest. That would be tough. If we made that 5%, if 60 of us gave 5% of the median household income in this community, that would be $17,481. We're already exceeding budget. That's at 5%. If we all went to 10%, just 60 of us went to 10% of the median household income in this community, that would be $582.70 a month. You know what that would come out to? $34,962. We could hire a second full-time pastor and we could pay market price to have our own gathering space. 24-7. If 60 of us said 10%, we can do it. We can make that happen. This is not about guilt. This is the joy of what we get to step into. That when we live with open hands, how much more can we do? This would give the church $16,206 more every single month than we currently budget every single month to advance the mission, sharing the gospel, being salt and light and justice and mercy and planting more gospel-centered churches here and around the world where people can belong, be known, and be loved. Don't you want that? I do. That's what Jesus has called us to. And generosity is actually how that gets accomplished because things cost money. Jesus felt no shame in the fact that there were wealthy ladies who followed him around and funded his ministry. Did you know that? Luke tells us that in his gospel. Judas held on to the money. The one he knew should not be trusted with the money because he knew money is a necessary thing. But don't let it have a grip on you. 
So open your hand. The best way to stop living so close-handed, like my daughter laying on the ground, clinging tightly to her donut. The best way to stop living so close-handed, you know what it is? It's just open your hand. Just try. Just open your hand up. Start being generous. See if Jesus was right, that it is truly better to give than to receive. There have been countless studies now, sociologically and psychologically, proving over and over and over and over again the happiest people are the people who give away the most. And we think the total opposite. The more I have, I've got to hold up over here. Like, no, 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 protect this. The future's coming. Recession, I keep hearing that word, all this stuff. Because you think that that's going to make you happy to have more. And yet, study after study by people who have no clue who Jesus is are proving what he said. You're happier when you give more. So let's be people of generosity. God is the happiest being, and he is the most generous being, and this is an invitation to being like him. Because you know what he does not let go of? You know what he has a tight grip on? You, believer. He said he holds us in his hand, and nothing can take us out of his hand. And if I'm held in the sovereign hand of God, what am I afraid of? So I want to live a life in obedience to him, joyfully saying, I'll live open-handed because you hold me in your hand. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are as generous as you are. There's truly no one like you. You are mighty. You are great to be praised. And we thank you for loving us at such a cost. God, would you help us to be a generous people? Um, God, would you help Spirit um, for this church to receive this not in any way that would layer condemnation or guilt, um, but instead would be gracious, that they would see the invitation into your way, Jesus, as a way of joy, life to the full, uh, living with an open hand. So we love you. I praise you. And I thank you for this church. And pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.